0: Hey, well, good morning, guys. It's good to be with you today. Men in the room, you braved it. You made it through yesterday. You got a good night's sleep. You rested up, ready to worship uh, today. So it's, it's our pleasure, our joy uh, to be with you and share um, just a little bit on marriage. And, and if you're visiting for the first time or, or if you do not know, my name is um, Isaiah. I get to serve um, here at Highland as one of the pastors. And it's just a, a great joy to, to, to serve here. And this amazing lady next to me is my wife, Amy. And uh, say hi, Amy.
1: Hello. Yeah. No, I was telling them
0: to say hi to you. Okay. But we've, we've been married for, uh, for 14, almost 14 years. This June will be 14 years. Um, together we have three boys, three energetic, fun-loving boys. Noah is 12, Eli, Elijah is 10, and Titus is 7. You can see their pictures on the screen behind us. And so our, our house is a ton of fun. Uh, it's a little noisy, even a little smelly at times, but man, it's so much fun to be a dad and, and a mom to, uh, to three amazing boys, and so it's just a, a ton of fun. This is actually the first time that Amy and I have done anything like this before together, so please say a prayer for us, and we pray that, that what we shared today is, is helpful and practical um, because we just want to share a few thoughts on how we can have joy in our marriages, Uh, Amy and I have just such a desire and a passion to see marriages thriving. Uh, But the reality is, really, over the last seven years, since I've been in a, you know, biblical counseling, pastoral counseling ministry, um, I've spent a lot of time with many couples who just don't have joy in their marriages through various reasons. You know, instead of joy, uh, they're filled with dysfunction. Instead of peace, there is hurt. Instead of thriving and flourishing, there is pain. And this is such a tragedy because this is this isn't God's design for marriages. Many marriages, if not all marriages, they're going to go through tough times. We're going to go through good points and bad points, high times, low times. Um, But through the power of the Spirit, through the through the work of prayer, I really believe, I honestly believe that we can have joyful marriages. This doesn't have to be a pipe dream. It can be a reality for all of us. And, And full disclosure. Amy and I do not have all the answers to your marital questions. And what we don't want to do throughout the course of this talk is we don't want to trivialize where your marriages might be. We understand that in a room or a setting like this, the reality is there's probably some marriages that are stagnant or struggling or suffering. So we don't want to say these are four great points to to a better marriage. It's not really what we want to accomplish. Now, marriage is tough work right? But it's not a job. But if we want to see our marriages flourishing, doing well, we have to cultivate those fields. And the reality is marriage really isn't about our joy anyway, right? It's not about our joy. It's about glorifying God by finding joy in Christ. Like that's what marriage is all about. So I know it's probably like a bait and switch because the title is Experiencing True Joy in Marriage, but it's really about glorifying God through our marriages. Because like I said, Maybe you're in a tough spot in in your marriage. So we don't want to trivialize this. We want to make sure that what we talk about is is driven and and focused in God's word. So uh, before we uh, kind of dive into our passages here, let's just ask God to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And we're going to read Romans 15, God. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that Paul shares with us um, in these first six verses that we're going to read together today. God, bless Amy and I as we um, just kind of expound on this. God, share some of our experiences, some of our good points, and some of our struggles as well. God, may this just be helpful for all of us as we seek to glorify you in our marriages, seek to glorify you um, in our singleness even. God, may we just bring glory to your name in any position or season of life we may be in. Uh, so God, bless our time together. In Christ. Let we pray. Amen. So Amy and I recently did a home remodel uh, on our house. And man, did, you, did we learn a lot about marriage through a home remodel, through this process. Uh, we haven't done anything this extensive on a home before. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun to see something transformed from one thing into something completely different. It, it was the same house, but had just a way different feel. Uh, it was just more functional than it had ever been. It was challenging in a lot of ways. Um, But really, it it was kind of enjoyable. Uh, But during the course of this project, Amy and I realized um, that we had a few heart issues or idols uh, that were coming to the surface over the course of this project. Let me just tell you one lesson or one idol that I discovered in myself. Words of affirmation is not just my love language. It's an idol of my heart. And I, I find it interesting that sometimes the idols of my heart are made a little more righteous with the title love language attached to it. Now, I'm not against the love languages. I think they're great. We've read the book. We've taken the test. We find it very helpful in in showing our love to one another. Uh, But I do think at times, sometimes, at least in my heart, they become more of an idol or idols rather than love languages. That's just one thing I learned about myself. Words of affirmation is a big idol of my heart. Amy, what's one thing you learned about your heart during the course of the remodel?
1: Yeah, so I think we found that doing a home remodel with your spouse is kind of like going canoeing with your spouse. I don't know if any of you have done that, but it's challenging. It takes a lot of teamwork and excellent communication um, to do that. But throughout our home remodel, I learned that I idolize control in my life. Um, I like to justify it by saying, you know, I'm just a really organized person, I appreciate order and cleanliness, but in reality, my need for perfection and order is an idol of my heart, and it does put stress on those around me who feel the weight of maintaining that order all the time. So in our home remodel, it revealed itself in my expectation to have everything completed in virtually no time at all with absolutely no mess. Now, that's an insane expectation for any home remodel, but especially when you're tearing down walls, and we were tearing down two walls. Um, on an everyday practical level, I'd, see, I'd say I I'd see it play out in my lack of grace on others when mistakes are made or inconveniences arise. You know, like when you get the fourth phone call from the school in four months saying your son's broke his glasses at recess again. Um, But despite my need for order and perfection, the reality is I'm married to a man who does not idolize order, and we're raising three boys.
0: Well, the the reality is I'm very messy and disorganized, but you're so gracious to me. I just, I love that.
1: In our home, things are going to get lost, they're going to get broken, and they're going to get messy. But I really am thankful that God revealed this idol to me because it's allowed me to deal with it. And I've been able to see that Isaiah really doesn't notice when the house is a little dusty or messy. But he does notice when I'm constantly stressed out because the house is a little messy. And I really love how God uses these stressful situations like a home remodel to reveal these issues of our heart and our complete need of him.
0: Yeah, and and any season of life, wherever we're at, we all have idols in our heart. And those are going to come to the surface and pressure-packed, tension-filled situations a lot of times, just like our home remodel. And the text we're going to read today really kind of deals with the topic of idolatry in our hearts. So let's flip over to Romans 15 and we're going to read Romans 15 verses 1 through 6 together. Let's see what Paul says about some of these issues we've been talking about. Paul writes this, "...we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as, a, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God of Father, our Lord. Jesus Christ. Now, there are four powerful truths that Amy and I want to pull from this text. I want to list them for you, then we're going to kind of unpack these together. But, but the four points are this. Don't seek to please yourself. Build one another up. Live in harmony. And with one voice, glorify God. Now, to build some context here, and we'll, we'll roll into point number one. Paul is instructing this church on how they can have unity one with another particularly those who are spiritually strong and those who are spiritually weak. We see this in verse 21. Paul says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Here's kind of the crux of what Paul is saying in this verse. He says, Live in a completely self-sacrificial way, looking to the other person as more significant than yourself. This is a great truth for church attenders, but it's really practical and relevant for marriages as well. Because in the context of marriage, we are saying to our spouse, you are more important than I am. Your needs are more important than my needs and my desires. And I want to do everything that I can to make sure that you are well cared for before I focus on my own needs. It reminds me of what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each, let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I wonder how much better would our marriages be if we were to try to please our spouse more than we try to please ourselves. I think about this in my own marriage with Amy. You know, how much better would my marriage be with her if I made more sacrificial choices that showed her that I was thinking about her rather than choosing my own wants or desires? The reality is many of the conflicts that we have in our marriage come from when I'm more concerned about my own desires rather than Amy's, my own passions, as James would define in James 4.1. Again, I can really see this in my need for affirmation. I feel like in my own heart that if I hear Amy say that I'm the man, that I'm awesome, it's just going to make everything better. In other words, I'm trying to find my contentment in what Amy says about me and To me, that's just simply not sustainable. And it puts so much pressure on her to be something for me that she can't be. This is just something that I've uh, figured out in my own heart. Amy, what what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I've definitely seen this in my heart many times. You know, the world gives us this warm and fuzzy picture of how our marriages should make us feel You know, like a Hallmark Christmas movie where there's always that one, you know, predictable moment when the two people fall in love and the chimes ring. And it can be a lot of fun to watch those Christmas movies. But unfortunately, sometimes I feel like they leave us questioning why we don't feel those chimes ring when we look at our own husbands. Um, We so badly want to feel all those wonderful feelings that come with having a healthy, strong marriage. But sometimes we just don't. Most of the time, the Hallmark Christmas movie just isn't our daily reality.
0: And I would also say it's probably goes for the men as well, because just like every man in these movies, they have six-pack abs, like the nice five o'clock shadow, six-foot-four huge, because every guy in America looks like this, right? Right. So I think that works for men too. Exactly, yeah.
1: yeah. The problem is when we take that desire to feel and we turn it into a weight that our spouse has to bear. Um, I think a good way to identify when we're doing this is when we use the phrase, if he would. Um, We might speak it out loud, or it might simply be a thought that goes unspoken, but something like, I would be happier if he, or things would be better if he, Ultimately, we're seeking to please ourselves rather than our husbands, and we're asking them to bear the weight of our contentment and joy. And our husbands were never created to bear that kind of weight. And our desire to pull them closer into a better relationship, we're really pushing them further away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is true not only for wives, but for husbands as well. We put so much weight on one another to keep us content, and that's just not where our contentment is found. Our contentment isn't found in Our spouse, our contentment is found in Christ. And as we progress through Romans 15, we see this is something that Paul begins to address. And that kind of leads us into our second truth today. And Paul says this as we progress. He says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So in addition to having an obligation to please others more than ourselves, he says, build them up. Build them up. What a great concept that Paul is is teaching the readers of this letter. They build up, they uplift, they benefit one another. Again, Paul in context is speaking to a church, but he's instructing more mature believers. Don't bake fellowship with those who may not be at the same point in their spiritual journey. But look how practical this is for marriages as well, that we build one another up. And so I just want to speak to the husbands in the room for just a couple of minutes and challenge all of us to take special care in how we are building up our wives. You know, this is a special process. This is, this is not an easy task. This is one that needs to be bathed in prayer is saturated with the Holy Spirit. You know, it reminds me of what we read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, when we read these words. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So I think Peter is giving us some how to's on how to build up our wives well. First of all, he says this live with them in an understanding way. Men, husbands, that means we must be learners. We have to be learners because here's the reality our wives are moving targets, they're moving targets. The way Amy wanted to be loved a decade ago is a little different than it is in 2019. So I have to be learning her and studying her, figuring out where she is, connecting with her heart, asking her questions. So a husbands in the room, understand your wives, learn them, know them, discover them over and over and over. Figure out where they are currently. Peter also says, show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. This means our wives, they have value of the highest honor. They have value of the highest honor. In other words, she is your standard, right? So, so turn to your wives right now and say, baby, you are my standard, right? <laughs> you are my standard in beauty. You are my standard in femininity. You are my standard in godly womanhood. Your eyes are fixed on her as your standard in this life and standard in beauty. Now, Peter's not saying that the wife is weaker in the marriage. That's not what he's saying at all. Peter is saying, you treat her as if she is. You bear the strength for your wife. Peter's saying, build them up delicately. Build up our wives compassionately. Build up our wives considerately. We need to just express compassion and love towards our wives, building them up well. So to all the husbands in the room, let's take special care in how we are building up our wives. Now, this becomes a, a lot easier. When we're following step one, that's to look to please others more than ourselves. So that's just one way that husbands can build up our wives. Amy, how can wives build up their husbands?
1: So I think one of the best ways a wife can build up her husband is by her words. I think most of us, I know I, forget the power that my words hold. Um, Proverbs 18.21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now doing something stressful like a home remodel really has a way of testing our ability to be gracious with our words. I really had to challenge myself to think before I speak and ask myself, is this something that needs to be said or do I just feel like I need to say it? there is a difference. If it doesn't actually need to be said, then I should probably, you know, we should hold our tongue. And if it does need to be said, you know, we could just challenge ourselves: is this coming across in a gracious way? Um, A really good example of this for us personally would be the day you worked on our ceiling at home. So we had pretty much finished the whole home remodel. Now remember my need for cleanliness and order. Everything was all put away and shiny and, and perfect again. Um, I had to work that Friday, but Isaiah had the day off, and um, we had had a little settling happen in our ceiling, which resulted in a, a crack, and he decided he was just going to get started on the project. So I come home that afternoon um, to find dust and smear dust, you know, that paste that forms when you mix water with dust. It was just all over the floor. That in itself was frustrating, but then I look up at the ceiling to find You know, the two-foot crack only had about six inches of it repaired. Isaiah had decided that... It made sense at the time. He decided he should do it in increments, you know, which in my mind was saying, okay, we're going to have to repeat this mess over and over. Um, He was so proud that he had taken the initiative to get started on the project and not just to get started, to even mop up after himself... And I could literally see the spark of pride leave his eyes as I informed him how I would have done it differently. Now, in reality, his mind heard me saying, you did it wrong. Uh, But you know, God used that interaction to remind me that he has been and continues to be immeasurably gracious with me and that I should freely share that grace with others, especially my husband. Um, when it comes to marriage, I really feel like choosing to be gracious is simply holding our tongue when what we want to say is not only not building our husbands up, but it could even be actively tearing them down.
0: Yeah, and I think that's true for husbands well. I just think about sometimes in our own marriage where it seems like sometimes the filter between my brain and my mouth is missing. And, and, and we can say some pretty ridiculous things when, when that happens. And, and I think what's so important that we consider the words we are saying and building one another up with the words on a practical level, because our words really do matter. What we say and how we say it is a really great way for us to model Christ's likeness in our marriages. And of course, Paul goes on to use Christ as our example of this in the text. And what a wonderful example for husbands and wives to to look to Christ, who did not seek to please themselves, but ultimately looked to, to please us. You know, we read in in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That is supreme sacrifice. You know, that is selfless. And ultimately, as husbands and wives, that is our pursuit of joy in marriage. It's becoming more and more like Christ, modeling our life like him. And how do we learn to do that? Paul says we do it by learning Scripture, by turning to the Word of God learning to be like Christ, we also find endurance and hope when we do this. So if we want gracious, selfless marriages, if we want marriages that are not seeking to please ourselves, but to please our spouses and to build them up, we turn to the word of God. And so as we progress from powerful truth two to powerful three, we see what is an outflow of this living to please others building them up we've seen outflow here this is what paul says is says, live in such harmony with one another in accord with christ jesus this means as we are seeking to meet the needs of our spouse building them up and we are actually approaching marriage with a team mentality the emphasis that paul is making here is that there is mutuality there's a, an appreciation a thankfulness to be with one another again he's speaking in a church context, but how relevant is this for marriages as well? You know, marriage is really good when there is harmony and like-mindedness, and there's a lot of tension when there isn't. True in a church setting, true in a marriage. I think this is most clearly seen with us when we actually started talking about doing this lesson together here today. We were not in harmony like I thought we were. So when Pastor Jeff asked if, if what he thought about Amy and I doing this lesson together I said, this sounds great. I need to go home and talk to Amy. Sounds awesome. Well, when I got home to ask her, this was her response. This, th- this is great, but I don't feel like I can say no. Maybe we should spend some time talking about this. That's what she said. This is what I heard. An emphatic, yes, let's do it. I'm all in. That's what I heard. <laughs> so long story short, here we are with joy talking to all of you here today. Now, it may or may not have caused some tension, but it's a great example of what happens when there is not harmony, not like-mindedness between spouses. When spouses miss this, this this harmony, this unity together, what we're missing is the byproduct of what comes next, and that is to glorify the Lord, glorify God. In other words, when, when we are together seeking the needs of others more than our own, building each other up, living in harmony, we are bringing glory to God. It's an act of worship. So instead of creating idols of one another, we're actually worshiping God together. And, you know, sometimes this role is reversed, isn't it, in in our marriages? Sometimes we see spouses elevating one another to the place that only God can sit, and they put so much pressure on them that they can't possibly fill, and both spouses are left wanting more and they're desiring more. And the reason that we feel this way is because our spouses and us, we make really terrible gods. We just can't sit in that seat. They can't simply fill that role. However, when we're seeking Christ, being conformed to his image, living in harmony with our spouse, we live lives of worship before the Lord, bringing glory to God through our marriages. Amy, how have you seen this play out in our marriage?
1: Yeah, so I think we've discovered in our marriage that our brains are just wired very differently. We see things, hear things, and understand things differently. And sometimes it can be very perplexing because you feel like you're communicating very clearly, but what your spouse repeats back to you can be completely different. Example, I don't feel like I can say, no, we should talk about this, becomes yes. But in, in all seriousness, though, living in harmony isn't something that's going to just magically happen on its own. It really does take a husband and wife daily submitting to the authority of Christ, pursuing sanctification, and fighting for their spouse. Um, sorry. I would encourage wives to gladly take on the role of being your husband's biggest fan. Now, this is a unique lesson to learn when you're married to a young pastor. Um, every time Isaiah's preached for the last 14 years, he wants... My opinion on his messages. So for years, I just gave him my opinions, you know. And I think, I hope this is true in most marriages, you know, a lot of times when we're looking at our spouse, we tend to find way more negative than positive for whatever reason. Um, And one day, Isaiah was speaking, and I was listening, and I was just kind of making my mental list of all that we were going to talk about later. And I really felt God just kind of gently whisper to my heart, I didn't give him to you so you could correct him. He doesn't need your correction. I want you to be his biggest fan. Now, this really convicted my heart, and it changed the way that I view my role. Um, Our husbands have so many people around them who are going to let them know when they mess up, but God gave us, the wife, the incredible role of being the one to love them, encourage them fight for them, and to be their biggest fan. And I feel like it's so much easier to live in harmony when we're viewing both our role and our husbands through the eyes of God.
0: Yeah, and the encouragement that we receive from one another is powerful. And it's meaningful. And I think that's a great point, that our encouragement just goes a long, long way in in, in our hearts. And so as we kind of progress through, and we begin to land the plane a little bit on this message uh, we, we notice that Paul is, is still speaking on this idea of glorifying God. He, he actually writes this with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the whole point of our marriages, the whole point of seeking joy in marriages is that we might bring glory to God. So as I said, the end goal for our marriages today is not joy at all. It's about bringing glory to God. That's the end goal. Again, we do this by pursuing Christ in our devotion time, spending time with him in the word as Paul instructs us in the text to to seek after him. And I can't stress how important it is for husbands to be setting the pace, setting the tone for them to be, you know, kind of setting the example for devotion time in their families. Now, this is not just important for husbands. This is important for wives as well. So, Amy, why is this so important for wives, and what's you know, a couple of examples that you do to help in devotion time?
1: So in regards to daily Bible time, I kind of feel like I have two roles to play. The first is to make sure that I'm in God's word daily. Um, I'm sure all moms and wives have been to that place where you're just pouring out of an empty cup. It can be so exhausting and discouraging to feel like there's so many people that need something from you, and you really have nothing left to give. So it really is so important that you know, wives keep their cup full, so that they have overflow to pour out onto their husbands and children. Now, practically, this is going to look different for all of us based on seasons of life and schedule. For me personally, I just find it best to get up early each morning and spend time reading, praying, and journaling. You know, because I like schedules and organization, I always keep um, a specific reading plan and I try to get up at the same time every day. For me, it's just easier to feel like I have a schedule that I'm accountable to keeping. But again, this could look different in so many ways for each person. The second role is the scheduling of the family devotion time. Um, In our house, I'm the schedule keeper, and I'm sure we all know how hard it is for families to spend intentional time together. So with that in mind, Isaiah and I have really tried to partner together to make sure that our family has consistent time to sit together for study and prayer. For our family, we found that this works best at dinner time, So that's what we try to practice daily. Now, this is not a perfect formula. We by no means have mastered this area. But I feel like it really just goes back to that team mentality and working together to live in harmony. And our goal as a family, you know, with our kids is just to help each other be so full of Christ that there's no room left for any other idol. But that really does take work. We have to encourage each other in our individual walks so that our collective walk can better glorify God.
0: Yeah, and depending on the season of life, stage of life, this can be a difficult thing to manage. Yeah. Um, but I think it's so worth the pursuit um, in our marriages. And so uh, I just, to, to kind of tie all this together, I want to, together, we want to bring three points of application. We, we've called these the three R's of a joyful marriage that hopefully will give us some great legs and a starting point on kind of following what Paul has taught us in the text. And, and the first R that we want to bring, the first point of application is recognize. We need to recognize the way that the the idols in our heart, the the areas that we are are being self-centered in, and, and rather than being sacrificial. For me, as I've stated throughout the talk, it's words of affirmation. You know, I really, really need Amy to tell me I'm the man, like all the time. But that's not her role to fulfill. I need to know who I am in Christ and be satisfied with that. But... I put all this pressure on her to be something for me. She can't. And a lot of times it's like gasoline and a fireball. Like It's just a bad combination. We're desiring things from each other that we just can't provide all the time. So husbands, do not put this kind of pressure on your wives. Recognize the idol that, that is created or, or, or coming to the surface in your heart. Amy, how can wives apply this?
1: So being soft-hearted enough to recognize and admit our own flaws is huge. Um, we've seen a lot of marriages suffer just simply because their hearts have become hard. So I would just encourage all wives to pray for a heart that's soft enough to recognize your own flaws and willing to overlook the flaws of your husband. Yeah,
0: absolutely. We, we need to recognize the idols in our heart. And this leads us to second the second application, and that is to repent. When we recognize these areas of our heart, we must turn away from that sin In the name of Christ and walk in a God glorifying way. You know, Paul actually instructs the church in Ephesus to put off the old man and to put on the new man. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4 22 through 24. He says, Put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. You know, it is our old self. It's the old self that seeks to please ourselves rather than our spouse, seeks to build us up rather than our spouse. It's the old self that must be put off. It's the, the new self that must be put on. The new person seeks to walk in a way that glorifies the Lord, desires to walk in righteousness and holiness, to love God more than we love our spouse. So we need to recognize and then we need to repent. And that leads us into our third R, the third point of application, what is that, Amy?
1: And the third R is to rejoice. This point is so simple yet it's so powerful. Proverbs 17, tells us that a joyful heart is good medicine. You know, laughter is a beautiful gift given by God to mankind for both our pleasure and His. And I love this comparison that I heard that said laughter is like internal jogging. It stimulates the respiratory system, oxygenates the body, relaxes the muscles, and releases ple- pleasure-producing chemicals Chemicals in the brain. It's really hard to laugh and be mad, laugh and be tense, or laugh and be stressed. It's just good for us and it's good for the people around us. Um, I also recently read a book that described laughter as low-calorie, caffeine-free, has no salt, preservatives, or additives. It's 100% natural and one size fits all. And our laughter doesn't cost us anything to give away, but the effects it has are priceless. So I would just encourage wives to never withhold your laughter from your husband. Give it away freely. Rejoice with your spouse and rejoice over your spouse.
0: Absolutely. I think this is one of the best parts of marriage. Rejoicing together. And when you are pursuing Christ's likeness together, that all by itself is, is, is enough to, to rejoice. But rejoicing brings so much fun to your marriage. And a big problem that I see in a lot of marriages today is they become crusty. They just can't have fun together. So I encourage all of us, just have fun. Rejoice together with the spouse God has sovereignly allowed into your life go on dates play games laugh together don't take yourself too seriously just rejoice and have some fun you know you can also rejoice by recognizing you know what god has graciously brought us together Let's be thankful. Let's have hearts of gratitude for our marriage that God would bring us together. So I say rejoice over our marriages. Rejoice how the Lord has blessed you and graciously allowed you into one another's lives. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. You know, God's plan for marriages. He, he wants to see them flourishing. And, and Amy and I are committed to, and passionate about praying for thriving marriages and so, if you're in a marriage that is struggling or stagnant and or, or you need a, a little bit of um, help, just seek help. You know, talk to a God centered, Christ fearing counselor. Talk to a, a pastor. Find someone, a marriage mentor, that can just pour life into you through God's word and lead you on a great path. You know, find someone who can help you uh, achieve a thriving, God glorifying marriage. And so we're praying for every one of our marriages in, in our church today. We're just so excited to see what God will do through us and how we can bring glory to him. And so I say, guys, let's recognize our idolatry. Let's repent, and ultimately let's rejoice in our marriages. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word found in Romans 15 and the powerful truths we see displayed in its, in its content. God, may we apply it to our life. May we recognize the idols of our Heart, may we turn from those and may we rejoice in your forgiveness. God, we're asking a blessing over these marriages today that they may seek you above all things. God, may they pursue joy in Christ. May they pursue your glory in all things. God, bless us throughout the remainder of our day and may you be glorified in it. In Christ's name, amen.
2: Amen. Thank you, Isaiah and Amy, for those good words today. One of the things that I would even add, it's always bad when the worship pastor comes up and says he wants to add something, but one of the things that I would say I would add is maybe you're here this morning and you're not married, maybe you're a teen, maybe you're a single adult, maybe you're a single parent. These things that they shared apply to us as men and women in our relationships with each other. Not everything, of course, applies in every relationship that we have, but I think there's definitely things that we have uh, from what they taught this morning that can apply for all of us in this room. So maybe you were feeling a little bit like, hey, I'm not married, this doesn't apply <laughs> to me. I think that God's word came through in so many things that Isaiah and Amy shared this morning, so hopefully we all took a little bit from that. Uh, Thank you for that great teaching this morning. Let's stand and sing as we close and we sing about our great God this morning.